This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. During the Christmas season, we enjoy singing some of the beautiful Christmas carols. These songs tell of the many people, places, and events surrounding the birth of Christ. We send Christmas cards, which also portray the babe in the manger, the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, even the animals in the stall. We sing about virgin, mother, and child, angels from the realms of glory, shepherds in the field abiding, the little town of Bethlehem, we three kings of Orient, bells on Christmas Day, and all sorts of things. These are the subjects of our Christmas carols, many of them. But there is one person in this narrative who is all but forgotten and lost in the crowd. Where is Joseph, the husband of Mary? Well, he is found in the Bible only in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke and only in the first two chapters of these. Not a single word he speaks has ever been recorded in the gospel story. Now, some people would downplay the importance of Joseph because he is only a foster father of Jesus, not his biological father. But we must be careful in so doing. If God so carefully examined the character of Mary choosing one who would be perfectly suitable to be the maternal parent of Jesus, then God certainly would examine the qualifications of his foster father. In a Hebrew home, the father ruled the roost. And we can expect that God was also careful in choosing the man who would be the earthly father of Jesus. So this morning, let's take a closer look at this forgotten foster father. First, let's look at him as husband-to-be. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. By some means, the same thing happened to them that has happened to countless other young couples. They fell in love, and so they became engaged. Now, engagement to the people of that day was a more serious matter than even marriage is to some couples today. Today, couples engage and then disengage with ease, it seems. I heard about a young man who went to his jeweler to order a diamond ring for his beloved. He asked the jeweler to engrave on the inside, from Bill to Susie. But the wise jeweler suggested in a very fatherly manner, son, you ought to take my advice. Let me just engrave these words, from Bill and leave it there. (laughs) Engagement in Joseph's day was as binding as marriage is today. An engagement could be broken only by divorce back then. This is why Joseph is called Mary's husband, even before they're actually married. But something happened in Mary's life which was like a bombshell to hit her. An angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby but that God in heaven was going to be the father, not any earthly man. Now her problem was, 
how was she going to tell this to Joseph? Just to prove this truth to Mary and to give her a sign, an angel had said that her aged cousin, Elizabeth, was also going to have a child, even in her old age. Don't you know Mary was confused? And so she made a trip to the hill country to visit her cousin. Elizabeth greeted her as the mother of the Lord. And she stayed there with Elizabeth for three months, after which Mary returned home. No longer could she hide this news from Joseph. He must be told. Now, if possible, put yourself in Joseph's place. Mary had always been faithful to him. But here, she had just been gone for three months. Now she comes back to tell him she's going to have a baby and that God is the father of the child. We don't have to imagine to know that Joseph certainly was torn within himself. The law in that day gave an engaged man the right to condemn an unfaithful partner to death by stoning. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and following. Throughout the years, the Pharisees had softened this a little bit by saying that divorce was better, although the Sadducees still insisted on the letter of the law. Joseph knew that there were two ways of obtaining a divorce. One, the accused could be dragged before what they might call a town meeting and have her shame broadcast to everybody she could be publicly accused of infidelity. Details were not spared. The witnesses had a field day in such cases. The one who was injured repudiated her in front of all the town gossips and the curiosity seekers. That's one option Joseph had. But there's a second possibility. There could be private proceedings the man simply handed the woman a bill of divorcement in the presence of two witnesses. This would be a private affair. When Joseph discovered that Mary was expecting, he chose this second method. He wished to spare her feelings as much as possible. His failure to specify the cause of divorce would spare her reputation and her feelings. Gentleness, Tenderness, kindness, courtesy, all these things are needed by husbands for their wives. In fact, the scripture says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. But then one night, God's messenger came to Joseph in a dream. It was all made clear to him now. The angel told Joseph that the son that Mary was to bear was truly the Son of God. We have firm evidence that Joseph was well convinced by the visit of the angel, for as he awakened from his dream, he took Mary to wife. Oh, what a joyous occasion it must have been, as Joseph related his dream to Mary. And after their wedding, it was necessary for Joseph and Mary to make a trip to Bethlehem according to the decree of Caesar Augustus. And while they were there, Mary gave birth to Jesus. On the eighth day after the birth of a child, it was customary that 
this was a time when the child would be given a name. No doubt there were a number of people, friends and others, who had suggestions to make. But Joseph had no question in his mind whatsoever about this. He had already received his previous instructions from the angel, who had told him about the birth of this child, the son. The angel had said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins. You can read that in Matthew 1, verse 21. Look with me at Joseph's faith. Joseph was evidently a man of deep personal commitment to God, a man of great faith and trust in God. We see evidence of this fact in two events that happened in the early days of Jesus' life. Several months after the birth of Jesus, wise men came from the east seeking his, this newborn baby who was to be the king. As these wise men came by way of Jerusalem, they had received instructions from Herod that when they found him, they were to return and tell him where this young child was so that he could also go and worship him. But God warned those wise men that Herod actually had no idea in his mind whatsoever about worshiping a baby. They, he knew that he wanted to take that child's life. And so these wise men, showing their wisdom again, returned to their own country another way. They did not go and report to Herod. After the wise men had left, God spoke again to Joseph, telling him that now he needed to take Mary and Jesus and go to Egypt. How long was he to stay there? How would he know when it's time to come back home? Was he ever to come back home? I think these are questions that we might have asked, but God's message was, be thou there until I bring thee word. You can read that in Matthew 2, verse 13. And so Joseph obeyed. It may have been very difficult for him to leave home and go way down to Egypt. We don't know Joseph's thoughts, but we do know that he obeyed the voice of God immediately. Under the cover of darkness, Joseph took Mary and Jesus, and they fled to Egypt. After living for some time in Egypt, it may have been a temptation for Joseph just to want to remain there. After all, in Egypt, he would not have to worry about Herod. He might have even reasoned that it would be better for Jesus down in Egypt. There, Jesus would not have to endure possible sly insinuations about how quickly he was born after his mother and daddy were married. We do not know the inner thoughts of Joseph in this regard. But Matthew does tell us that when Herod was dead, God spoke again to Joseph, telling him that it was now time for him to go back to Israel. Again, if God had so spoken to any of us, uh, what would we have said? I think probably we would have said something like this. All right, Lord, I'll go back to Israel, but where in Israel do you want me to go? Well, God did not tell him where in Israel to go not when he left Egypt. And so he went. And as he went, not before, but as he went, it was revealed to him where he should live in Israel. And the place 
a little town called Nazareth was chosen. This may well have been the last place that Mary and Joseph would have chosen, their own hometown. Not only would there be town gossips whose tongues would wag, ah, oh, this baby came too early after they were married. But even three decades later, as Jesus began his public ministry, there were some pious Jews who threw this matter back into his face again, as they said, we be not born of fornication. You can read about that in John chapter 8, verse 41. Surely Mary needed all the loving support and help that she could possibly receive from a loving husband, such as Joseph must surely have been. I think Joseph is to be commended in a number of other ways. Having at least nine in the family, Joseph must certainly have been a hard worker. There was surely no extra money around, and the family members had to earn had to learn very early the value of money. Joseph certainly was responsible also for the fact that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's the last verse of Luke chapter 2. Jesus did grow by learning a trade, by working each day at his father's carpenter's bench. Jesus grew by learning the scriptures. It was no accident that day in the temple when Jesus was 12 years old, that he stumped the religious leaders with his grasp of biblical knowledge. Jesus grew by regular attendance at the synagogue. Joseph must not have left the religious training of his children up to his wife, Mary. All indications are that he set the right example by attending the synagogue himself and thus leading his children to attend. A poet, poet has said it this way, my daddy thinks it's nice for me to go to Sunday school, to hear the helpful lessons, and to learn the golden rule. And if some Sunday morning, something else I'd like to do, my dad looks very stern and says, I'm surprised at you. So I dress up very neatly and travel off alone, while dad hunts up his paper and decides he'll stay at home. Now I've wondered and wondered, yes, time and time again, why Sunday school is good for boys, but not for grown-up men. Well, that puts it pretty plainly, doesn't it? I guess we'll understand, never understand, why some parents take their children to the circus or to the movies, but they send them to Sunday school. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Dr. Albert Schweitzer was once asked a question concerning how the older folks could pass on to their children the proper attitude toward responsibility. Schweitzer's answer was classic. He said, there's three ways you can teach a child responsibility. Example, example, example. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, never utters a sound in the story as recorded in our Bible. He is the silent servant who acts rather than speaks. Perhaps of all human influences molding the human side of Jesus, the influence of Joseph was surely the greatest, for he was the man nearest Jesus. When God had his complete way in the life of Joseph, then 
God was able to do marvelous things. And the same thing can be true of any life in which God has his way. And so as we come to look at the character of Joseph in this Christmas narrative, the question we must ask ourselves, what about me? Have I let God have his way in my life? At the close of this service, in a few moments, we're going to sing a well-known hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Oh God, help us to let you have your way in our lives, just as Joseph was obedient to all that you led him to do and to be. We thank you, God, for this, the beautiful example that we have in this man, so often forgotten at Christmas, but who was vital in your plan in giving us our Savior, Jesus. We offer our thanks for Jesus, first of all, and also for an earthly father who fulfilled his role so beautifully. We offer our prayer of thanks in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.